What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 292 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, as often, and I am joined by West Coast correspondent Scott Coleman, who is really excited that the Braves got a win on Sunday because if they hadn't yeah. got a win on Sunday, it would have been pretty ugly on this podcast. It still might be pretty ugly on this podcast, honestly, but it was not as bad as it could have been. Yeah, it was a it was a frustrating week, and anybody who caught those games, especially those two losses in Philly, were so frustrating. And again, it's it's almost like Groundhog's Day. It feels like just when we think the Braves are about to turn the corner, they of course win the weekend series against the Dodgers uh, last weekend, and then win Monday against the Phillies or Tuesday, I guess it was, uh, and then it was just kind of more of the same. The team just can't seem to get out of their own way, but. Again, there is about 100 games to go, and, and hopefully they're able to, to figure this thing out before we get too late in the season here. Yeah, that's been the theme recently on the podcast. Uh, you know, no one would say this is a good week for the Braves. You know, they finished 2-4. and four. It could have been worse. In fact, uh, I, I mean, this, this is on, on our document, but I think it felt worse than 2-4. and four. I, I, You know, as, as much as that is kind of crazy to say, uh, it was a maddening experience, but they did, they did finally uh, get a win. And hilariously, they keep losing four in a row, but never more than four. And then they also get to the 500 mark and never go above it. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think the headline of this podcast is going to be something having to do with the 500 mark being a, being the glass ceiling this season because it's like there were plenty of jokes about it after they got there on Tuesday, and uh, I think many of us even like made a joke about like here, here comes the losing streak, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I'm going to leave with this: uh, there are only three teams in baseball this season that have not been above 500. And one of them is the Atlanta Braves. Um, mm. Hilariously, though, they have been between four games under and 500 the entire season. They've never who fallen. Are the other, <laughs> it's, who are the crazy. other two? Uh, I, I, man, I wish I wrote that down. Uh, they're bad teams, regardless. They're, yeah. they're, they're very bad teams. The Braves are the only team that's not like terrible that has not been above 500 this season. Um, and this is the other one that we'll come back to, but I want to make sure I say this now. I believe this still holds. It might even be worse than this, but as of as of Wednesday... Uh, they were 25 and six when leading after six innings, which sounds good. You know, you win a lot, but um, let's compare that to the previous two seasons, which the Braves were awesome. Of course, they were 103 and six in the previous two seasons, leading Jeez. leading after six innings. So that's again, that's it's a arbitrary endpoint stat and all that, but it kind of tells you a little bit about why things have not been going so well this season. Also, the Braves are under 500 in one-run games after being incredible mm-hmm. in one-run games. Um, yeah, I believe the, yeah, the stat is the Braves are 8-11 and 11 this season in one-run games, which isn't like completely disastrous, but when you realize that a lot of their success in the last three years has been in those one-run games, they were an MLB best, yes, number one in baseball, 62-34 and 34 in one-run games for three seasons. So, yeah. Uh, when the bullpen isn't as good and you don't have the same kind of success in close games and the offense is banged up and all of that stuff, uh, you end up in this spot when they're not playing particularly well. So, uh, not to be Debbie Downer at the top of the podcast, but I promise you it was going to be more negative than they lost today. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> if they got swept. Yeah, if they got swept in Miami. That That's to the point of like, look, what you know, what's going to happen here over the next four months? Like, that yeah, been... I mean, I don't think they would have reacted too much, but... Uh, I would have at least mentioned the possibility of a shakeup on the staff of some sort if they had lost today. Um, and maybe, maybe that would still happen. People are always asking us one of the more prominent mailbag questions that we get is like, you know, what's going to happen with Snicker or Rick Kranitz or whatever. And Eric and I talked about Rick Kranitz last week, a little bit on the podcast. I don't know what their move is. Uh, the Braves are not necessarily known as a reactionary 
club and this front office. Um, I don't really think they're going to tee off on the staff. But, you know, there's a certain point where after exceeding expectations a lot recently, they're mm-hmm. now falling well short of them. And part of that is, as we talked about a lot on this podcast, personnel-driven. This team on paper, as we talked about the last few weeks, is not as good as it was supposed to be on paper even. Like, you take some key guys away, but still maddening, and uh, we'll go through it for sure. But you mentioned the games midweek. The two losses in Philly were... Uh, I mean, the word's excruciating, I think. Just the fact yeah. that you, you didn't, it's almost worse. I mean, we said, we've said this a lot, but it's a lot easier to get killed than it is to lose like one run games in horrible fashion. And those two back to back, like, kind of broke the fan base. It felt like on, yeah. at least on Twitter, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of negativity. And I couldn't blame people too much for that. Well, and it just feels like, for whatever reason, this team just can't get all everything working in the right direction, right? Like they'll have a week where the offense is great, but the bullpen seemingly gives up five runs every night. And then the bullpen will settle in a little bit, but the starting pitching is bad or the line, you know, it was it Thursday's game or Wednesday's game, I guess when it was a one, nothing the entire way. And then on the, with two, two strikes to get, they lose, right? Like they just can't seem to get the offense and the rotation and the bullpen all going in the same direction. And, it has been frustrating. I think you're absolutely right. What what could have very easily been a sweep in Philadelphia and to finally break that 500 that 500 mark uh, were just two two of the worst possible ways to lose. As you said, if you lose a game 12 to nothing, you never want to lose 12 to nothing. But look, by the fifth inning, you pull a couple guys. You have a position player throw an inning just to keep things light. You move on. I think it's those walk off losses on back to back days in games that you should have won. You had a great starting performance. The bullpen held up until late. Uh, you know, those are the games that you really look back on in a season and go, man, this is th- those are starting to add up. I think we, we're deep enough into the season now where you're in the middle of June. It is decidedly no longer early, even if there is 100 or so games left to play. But at some point, I tweeted this, I think, after Thursday's loss. At some point, this team has to figure out a way to start winning some of these close games or before we know it, it'll be, you know, near the end of the season and it, it's just not going to work out the way they want it to. For sure. And uh, an alternate title of this podcast might be 99 games to go because especially after Saturday, I think I even said this, uh, like, look, Braves fans, 100 games to go in this season. Everybody's having so much fun. Uh, and it feels like that's impossibly long. I think part of that's last year being sort being a short season. I think we're kind of, we're kind of out of shape for how long baseball seasons actually are. Um but yeah. it seems insane that there are 99 games left, but there are. So they, they do have time to turn this around. I'm not going to bury them. But uh, to your point, they need to, at some point, you have to actually win the games that you're supposed to win. And um, there's been a decided lack of those you know, memorable scratch-and-claw mm-hmm. comeback wins that the Braves were known for these last couple of years. And there's always a little bit of noise in there. You know, I think that's been a data point used against Snicker this season because that's what he's also been known for. So it kind of goes kind of goes both ways. If a big part of your selling point with your staff, not even just your manager, but your entire staff, is that look, these guys always battle and we always have these comeback wins. If that's a big part of your pitch, when that stops happening, it goes against your pitch on some level. So I don't know, lots to get into on the podcast, but uh, the mood is certainly mixed. Although, again, better because they won today than it would have been if they had lost five in a row before this podcast. Um, let's dive in a little bit on what actually transpired. Uh, the two wins, both coming with Drew Smiley on the mound, is just uh, 
picturesque scott <laughs> if you if you had that one in vegas you, you've made some money i'll tell you what uh and he wasn't honestly he wasn't he wasn't that bad he wasn't good but uh he wasn't that bad we'll start we'll start with tuesday you get a couple of early home runs from acuna and Contreras. smiley was not great by any means but he uh had three gave it three runs and four and a third two earned runs also did not have a strikeout which is uh not what you want to see they led four three in the sixth um and Shane Green making his debut a lot of a lot of home runs to the first batter he faced. Uh, I thought he got squeezed. I watched that at bat closely and even watched it back. Uh, I got a little bit unlucky. I thought with the umpiring, but suddenly you're down five four, and uh, that wasn't ideal. But they did sort of break it open with a five run eighth inning, including an Austin Riley solo home run. Austin Riley's been great. Um, but as we talked about, this is the fifth time that they reached five hundred this season. And they were not able to crack it, um, but at least that was a one. At least it was a positive start, and you know they had it rolling there. It felt like they were they had the day off, um, and it's just uh, I don't know. I don't want to overstate it, but that was a good win in that they didn't play like incredibly well. I didn't think, and they still won comfortably, which was which is again kind of one of those things that they haven't done a whole lot this year. Yeah, getting back to the point you just made about how the last couple seasons it felt like this team just found ways to win Tuesday's game kind of felt like that right like it was not a, a clean game by any means you were dealing with a really bad umpire but they're able to come back after giving up the lead uh the five run eighth inning was was big as you mentioned Austin Riley has been fantastic especially the last couple days here um but it, I, I remember thinking on Tuesday night okay you know here here we go this is it's taken a little while, but as players always tell you, it's it's usually around June 1st or Memorial Day when they really start to take a, a real look at the standings and games seem to take on a little bit more of meeting. As you said, we are out of shape a little bit because last year's 60-game sprint was so fast. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, Freddie Freeman, <laughs> after a game, he said, well, we got a game tomorrow and, and we got a game after that. And I, I agree there's something <laughs> to be said for – keeping a level head over a long season with ups and downs, but you, you can't have that, that mentality for a full season because at some point you have to start winning games, obviously, and you can't just shrug off losses like they're nothing uh, because at some point you got to start winning games. I know he said if, if the Braves are going to win 90 games this season, they basically have to be at the pace that the Dodgers are at currently. Um, I don't know if they can get there and maybe they don't have to get to 90. It's a, it's a competitive division. The Mets do not look like they're going to win a hundred games by any means. And the other teams all have issues to some degree, but you have to start finding ways. And it seemed like Tuesday night was a big step in the right direction. Uh, although of course we, we know what happened after that. Yeah. And I, I did the math while you talk while you were talking, if the Braves wanted to just get to 90 and 90 doesn't guarantee you anything. 90, you could, I mean, you probably, you probably get a wild card spot. You would, you would assume that's pretty safe. But 90 is not like an off-the-chart season. Um, that would be under their preseason win total, by the way. Um, but if they j- just to do that, they have to win at a, at a more than 98-win pace for the full season. And uh, that is not a given. That's that, that's an elite team. You have to basically be an elite team from this point forward to be a 90-win team for the season, which is not nothing. Uh, that's tough to do. Um, as we'll dive in now to Wednesday, um, you know, we, I gave you the stats earlier about uh, how they can't get above 500, but... Uh, on the bright side, probably the one bright spot on Wednesday was Tucker Tucker Davidson, who's been very very good. Uh, six innings, four hits, uh, one one walk, four Ks, no runs. Like 
he's been kind of a godsend, and I feel bad that the Braves weren't able to win with him on the mound. But um, he he definitely has been very good, and I think uh, keeps earning more looks. Uh, we talked about it last week a little bit with Eric, but he earned another start last week with his performance. He definitely earned another one this time with his performance, and with no end in sight. Like, if he keeps pitching, not necessarily like this even, just pitching okay, he'll be around for a while. Well, and especially since he's going to be needed with with Waskari Noah out for at least probably until the All-Star break or or maybe longer uh, with that broken hand. Yeah, I mean, he's he has made the loss of Enoa minimal. I, I think if you ask what's wrong with this team right now, I actually think the starting rotation is in okay shape. I mean, it's not elite by any means, but it's been okay. I think it's been good enough. Um, at least good enough if you you were getting more consistent production out of the lineup and out of the bullpen. Uh, but yeah, Tucker has been very impressive in his handful of starts. His debut was impressive uh, against a, a hot and good Phillies lineup. He pitched really, really well. He was not giving up a ton of hard contact. And as you said, it would have been nice for him to to get the win, make Chip Carey happy. But uh, <laughs> but uh, don't get me started. Uh, but I won't. Yeah, I Tucker looks very good, and he seems, at least for the the interim, he's going to be a fixture of the rotation, and who knows how it's going to shake out. But I think he has certainly shown that he can get big leaguers out and has a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, good good start there. A little bit of optimism in the in the middle of the week. Um, from there, the Braves probably should have scored more than the one run that they had. Uh, they had they had four singles in the sixth inning to get their one run to go up one nothing in a very very low scoring game. But there was a double play in the middle of that, which broke it up and allowed them to only have that one run. They were still fine, though. Uh, And then Will Smith had an issue in the ninth. So with two outs in the ninth, Braves leading 1-0, Smith allows a two-run home run to Luke Williams of the Phillies. It was his first career home run, um, again, with two outs in the ninth. And Smith's ERA with with that swing went up to 4-7-4 on the season. This was kind of funny to me. I, I didn't believe that. I had to check it myself. This is actually Will Smith's first blown save of the season, technically, um, which is hard to do when you are closer and you have a, an ERA near five. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. it's because when he's blown up already this year, it's been it's, it's been in tie games. I went and I went and sort of uh, looked looked around uh, game by game. So that that was true. It was his first blown save, but uh, he's not been. I think he's not been as bad as maybe people have thought he's been at times. But he has not been good, uh, and yeah. that was driven home by the swing. Yeah, you know, Will Smith, I'm glad we brought him up. He's an interesting guy, right? Because last year he was horrible, like decidedly terrible. I know he had a Just couple the home of runs. Games. Yeah, home runs, yeah. home runs, and, home runs. And, and I think people thought, well, that that's going to balance out. And his home run rates were just absurd last year. And he's a veteran guy, and I don't blame him. He had COVID, basically didn't have any kind of a ramp up to the season. He had a couple of inter-squad games and had to pitch. But, you know, closers are an interesting beast because – you can look at the underlying metrics and say, okay, that's encouraging. And, and they are for the most part. His FIP is at 3.15. His XFIP is 3.54. His home run rate is basically identical to his career line, which is about one per nine, which is fine. I mean, you, but whenever you're talking about a closer, of course, you're, you're looking at extreme close scenarios most of the time. And when you're a guy who has a 4.56 ERA this season, and since coming to the Braves has has not been good since being paid big money a year and a half ago. Um, and the blown saves always stick out in your mind. And I guess you have hope that if if his underlying metrics balance out his his on field performance a little bit, then uh, you're that's something to be optimistic about. But man, 
I don't know how you feel, Brad, but whenever Will Smith is in the game, I do not feel confident at all. <laughs> like, I'm just kind of waiting for a bloop and a blast, and that and that's basically what happened in the ninth inning on uh, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I definitely had the thought today on Sunday where he came in and they did not blow the game, and he, he held on. Um, if he had blown the save today, it would have been Armageddon on social media. It would have been the end of the world, basically, if they had <laughs> lost today in the ninth. It's 4-2 in the ninth. Yeah. On comes Will Smith, and I have the same thought as you. Like I, I don't, I don't have like abject terror, but there's that level right now where you know the, the way I'll describe it is that you know with, with Kimbrel with the Braves when he was going, everyone felt great. You kind of knew that occasionally you blow a save because everyone blows a save, but there's that feeling that you just feel good when a guy pitch, when, when a guy's pitching, um, and it's happened several times. I think Chris Martin reached that zone for me a few t- a few different times in his in his uh, small period last year. I felt that way about Matzik at times, like where you just feel good. Um, Will Smith has not uh, elicited that reaction in anyone, I don't think, right now. And I think there is room, like you just said, that to have some faith in Will Smith moving forward. I don't think he's just, I don't think he's terrible. I really don't. But um, yeah, the faith factor, it's not something you can just quantify, which is why I don't like talk about that all the time. But it is, it is real. Like, I, if you're just being honest with yourself, listening to this podcast, I don't think you probably have a lot of faith in Will Smith. I'm just, I'm just guessing. I could be wrong, but uh, I don't have a ton. I mean, no. I don't know. It's weird. He's he's not terrible. No. You're absolutely right. He's, he's not. not. But when you're talking about a closer on a team that's trying to win a division and a World Series and is trying to play catch up in the standings for the first time in four years, um, you really you really want to have those ninth innings locked down. As you said, every great closer is going to have a bad day or just an unlucky couple of bounces or, or whatever it is. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> it, it was a. I think a perfect representation of the entire season. You get to the ninth inning against a division rival, one nothing game. It's been a, a well played game. Tucker Davidson was great. And you get two outs, and then you give up a first home run to Luke Williams, who I've never heard of before <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> before this series. Uh, and I, I, yeah, just just more of the same. And you hope that they're able to at some point put these these tough losses behind them. For sure. Uh... On to Thursday, though, before we get to a break. Uh, Thursday, they lose 4-3 in extra innings, but it was actually a lot more low scoring. So back-to-back games where there was just not a whole lot of offense happening on either side. But this game was scoreless on Thursday through seven-plus innings in the afternoon. Just a breezy game, 0-0. Minter comes in in the eighth, allows back-to-back doubles. The second one, I would say it was ruled a double. I think it probably should have been ruled a double. Uh, I thought Riley should have at least cut the ball in the infield. That was not a great defensive play by Riley at third base, who's not been great defensively this year by the metrics. But regardless, it's back-to-back doubles, and the Braves are now losing one nothing in the eighth. If that's how the Braves had lost this game, it would have been less excruciating. But um, to his credit, Freddie Freeman hits a, hits a solo homer to, to tie the game in the ninth. That was a great swing. And uh, courtesy of the Phillies going away from Zach Wheeler, who was incredibly good in his eight innings, they, that, they, they, as, soon as, he, as soon as he left the game, the Braves tie it in the ninth. Um, but that sets up just for heartbreak and extra innings. So the Braves actually take a two run lead in the 10th, courtesy of a lot of help, including the ghost runner rule, as we all love and hate, depending on how you feel about that. But three walks, a wild pitch and a pass ball in the top of the 10th to go up by two runs. So the Braves didn't do a whole lot of damage on their own, but suddenly you're up two. And while I've always said with this current ghost runner rule, you have to assume the baseline is like, a run in extra innings, like just going up, going up by one, in the top half is not enough to be to, to feel good at all about that. You're up two. You're supposed to win uh, more often than not. But Chris Martin goes pass ball, 
single, double, single, without getting a single out in the bottom of the 10th. And Chris Martin, who we always say is, is very good. He's been the Braves' best, pit, best reliever this year when healthy, but not on this day. And yep. they end up losing it in the 10th. And again, just uh, I'm, I'm going to be overusing the word excruciating. Uh, hideous, whichever word you want to no, use. Pick, was, pick a word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spin the circle or spin the wheel and pick your your painful word of choice. Um, as you said, if they lose this game one nothing on on that unfortunate uh, kind of chopper that Riley couldn't get in front of, whatever. But to come back and tie the game and then go up two uh, <laughs> and go up two right on a on a game that the Phillies were trying to give away. With as you said, they get three walks, a wild pitch, a pass ball. It wasn't like they came up and hit a couple of long homers. Uh, yeah, it was it, Chris Martin did not look good at all. I nope. mean, obviously he gave up three runs and in, in about a span of 12 pitches, but he was hanging, breaking stuff all up in the mat, all over the plate. I don't know if he just, if he's not comfortable in that extra innings role with a guy on second base, he not his best off, the, off sure. the top of my head. It feels like he struggles in that situation. The few times he's done it though, that might just be selective memory. Um, yeah, <laughs> again, just another Pick your your word of choice loss. Um, not even what twelve hours after they lost a, a similarly painful game on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean the afternoon quick turnaround. It's one of those games where you feel like you might you can kind of save the series if you win this one, and uh, you go up, you go up two in, in the tenth. I don't want to I don't want to belabor that, but uh, just. Uh, a bad way to lose that game. Uh, on the bright side, Ian Anderson was very, very good again. So if you want to define some optimism, Wednesday and Thursday, both with pitching, Davidson first, Anderson, five base runners allowed in seven innings. He was, he was very, very good in that game, keeping pace with Zach Wheeler for seven innings and uh, not a small task because Wheeler was awesome. So, you know, they lose both at the end of the series. Uh, there was some, you know, optimism is the wrong word. The Braves have done well in Miami in recent years, which we'll come back to in a second. So it didn't feel like it was dire necessarily, just just more frustration in a moment. But uh, it continued as they arrived in Miami. I, I want to get, I want to take a break though, Scott, before we get to the Miami series and all of the fun that followed in in South Florida. So hold on uh, tight. We'll, we'll be we'll be right back. All right, Scott, let us get into this Miami series. Uh, and I'll say this now: this is the first time the Braves have lost a series in Miami. Since 2017. That's a long time ago. Um, so Friday, Charlie Morton allows four runs and walks four in four innings. He has not been dominant this season. We talked about him a little bit last week with Eric and I, but I want to maybe do it again here for a second. Um, Morton, he didn't get them beat necessarily, but when you lose the game 4-3 and your starter allows the first four, allows all four runs in the first four innings, he becomes a part of the story. And, you know, I want to... It's kind of like Will Smith in a lot of ways, a starting pitcher version, where Morton is not terrible. His numbers are not terrible. Um, you know, was he expected to be a little bit better than this? Probably, at least by me. But it's that situation where he's not giving you number one, number two performance. He's pitching more like a 3-4 guy, which is okay. But they, in the absence of everything else, I think his shortcomings have kind of come to the surface a little bit. Yeah. It's been hard to get a read on Charlie. He's been really good at times, and then he's just had one really bad inning. Um, you know, and then you think he's he's also had nights where he was outstanding. He had that terrific start against the Red Sox two weeks ago against a really good Red Sox lineup. And then he follows it up against a bad Miami lineup and couldn't even get past four innings. Um, it, it's not as if the stuff isn't sharp. I mean, he, it's not like you see in a big drop in velocity. Um, his strikeout numbers are, are still good. His walk numbers are a little up, but... 
I mean, it's not like he's walking every other batter. Um, and, and again, like you said, Will Smith is is a good comparison because he's a veteran guy. His underlying metrics are better than what a 4.5 ERA suggests. And frankly, when you watch Morton pitch, I don't see a guy who should have a 4.5 ERA. Um, but at the same time, he, he just hasn't been as good as what we were hoping for. You and I are both big fans of his. He's been very, very good in recent years whenever uh, whenever he's been healthy, including last playoff with the Rays on their on their journey to the World Series. And I, I think it's fair to, to hope and think that better days are ahead for Charlie. But for whatever reason, through the first two and a half months of the year, he just hasn't been able to consistently throw six or seven innings without hitting some some roadblocks along the way. Yeah. Again, I'm not a pitching expert, and it's one of those things where I know my eyes tell me, and to your point, they don't. it doesn't seem like he is like really fighting himself all the time. Like He, he seems to be fine, and then you get these like little one-off moments when he is uh, having issues. And, you know, that's it's correctable like you don't have to panic about that but and again i think it's i think it's glare it's more glaring because of who's not available and who's not out there and kind of the pressures that are placed on him to not necessarily carry the staff by any means but um they've needed their pitching staff to be excellent at times this season and they just have not been able to do that and i think rightly or wrongly and i think wrongly for the most part people are always going to focus on uh his contract and just like point to like, you know, um, he's making X money. He's got to be great and all that stuff. And we try, we always try to say, look, you know, $15 million is not that much money in the grand scheme of baseball. Like $15 million you pay for yourself. If you have like a mid, mid to high three ZRA and pitch a lot of games, he doesn't have to be, you know, prime Clayton Kershaw to return value on his contract. Um, it's just, he has to be a little bit better than he's been so far, which is not a tough task. I think we know, we think he can do that and he's done it for large periods of the season so far, but there's been that, like, like you said, that one inning here and there. Well, and winning fixes so many things, right? Like if the Braves were 10 games above 500 and in first place and Charlie Morton was having a little bit of an up and down season, no one would care. <laughs> I don't think we're talking about it nearly as much, right? And we go, eh, Charlie's he's been okay, but you know, teams playing fine and they're winning more times than not. So who cares? No, I mean, when the team's struggling like they are, everything's going to get magnified. And uh, I, I think that I, if you had to ask me, I would say that Charlie's going to have a better second half of the year, better 60% of the year than the first 40%. But um, I, I do hope and think that better days are on the horizon for him. But again, it's just a matter of it, it really avoiding that those early inning troubles have been a thing with him. He, of course, had that one horrible start against the Phillies where he gave up, what, nine runs in the first? Um, and and it, again, every start, it seems like there's been one inning, and if he can avoid it and get out of trouble, he usually goes six or seven innings without too much trouble. But unfortunately, it's it's been a frustrating year, and it really, again, it just kind of extrapolates to the entire team. They've been so close, but also feels like they've been far away. One quick stat on Morton. Uh, baseball Perspectives has this uh, stat called DRA. It's deserved run average, which a lot, which a lot of people like. Um, and that uh, it's on the same scale as ERA and his DRA is 3.5, which is, you know, well above average. Like he's been, if you believe in the metrics, if you believe in his supporting stats, they basically tell you that he's been the guy that we thought he was going to be this year. Not like, again, not a, not a dominant ace, but if, if he was just pitching to what his metrics say, no one would be playing, sort of batting an eye at what he's done so far. So keep that in mind as we uh, navigate this thing. 
Um, elsewhere, though, on Friday, the Braves had opportunities in both the 8th and the ninth. They had two base runners on base in both last two innings. The bottom of the order, by the way, 6 through 8 in the order, went hitless on Friday. And that's basically why the offense sputtered. They just got nothing at all from the bottom of the order the entire game. And then Riley struck out with two guys on to end the game. I'm not piling on Riley, but he had a, he had a rough one on Friday. He had four strikeouts. He's been awesome, but that was sort of the one hiccup of the week for Austin. And as I said, this, that was the uh, their 11th loss in a one-run game this season. You know, a lot to get into. We could sort of pile on. That, that was a more run-of-the-mill loss. I think if, if that if that game happened last week or whenever, no one would have really cared about it. It was just because it, because it was the third in a row. It was a little bit more head-scratching, but that was not like an out-of-the-ordinary loss. No, and against Miami, right, you never want to count a win in baseball because of just the weirdness of it. Miami's not a bad team, but... The Braves have been really, really <laughs> good against the Marlins in recent years and, and really the division in, as a whole the last few seasons. And uh, th- there's a reason you to win a division, quite obviously, you almost always have to perform well against the other four that you play 30% of your games against. Uh, that has not been the case this year. And again, you, I think there was hope and optimism that they would be able to get back on track after a couple of rough games to close out that series in Philadelphia um, but unfortunately, Friday and, and Saturday were not that. Yes, uh, and we'll get into Saturday now. Uh, so Saturday, fourth straight loss. They lose four to two um, to clinch the series loss. Um, their fourth four game winning, sorry, fourth four game losing streak of the season. Uh, Free was okay, six innings, three earned, not dominant, but okay. Of course, Adam Duvall, who's been terrible against basically everyone except for the Braves this year. Yeah. Uh, Duvall hit his fourth home run in his first 19 at-bats against the Braves this season. <laughs> Some his, karma, uh, I guess. His, yeah, his old buddies in the rotation are trying to help Adam get another contract for next yeah, year. Yeah, goodness gracious. Yeah. He's been he's been pretty bad this year, but not, uh, not against the Braves. Um, Freddie hit a home run again in the eighth. That was the only scoring for the Braves. Uh, and then uh, pretty much... You know, it probably wouldn't have mattered, but the the insurance run kind of painted this painted the picture for the Marlins. They scored um, on a 58 mile an hour exit velocity, uh, excuse me, swing, basically in the eighth inning to go to go up by two. Uh, for reference, Ronald Acuna earlier in the game had a 117 mile an hour lineout, so quite literally twice as hard. Uh, that was an that was an out, whereas the oh. Marlins tack one on on a 58 mile an hour excuse me swing. Um, I do have one question. Uh, and this is something we talked about a lot, so I, wanna, I don't want to do much on it, but it was uh, it was not lost on me that Snicker once again went to Edgar Santana down one in the eighth inning. Uh, I, I think, I don't know, Brad, I'm starting to think Edgar is like married to one of Brian's like nieces or nephews or something like that. Because Listen, I mean, we did the rant last yeah. week a lot, Eric and I, so I don't want, yeah. again, we, we, I feel like it's like the fourth week in a row we've done this, but uh, it, it keeps it keeps happening with the leverage conversation. It didn't, again, that, that, that's not why the Braves lost this game. They were already losing. But uh, I just, I, I had to, I literally found myself actually laughing out loud when they went to Santana in the eighth. It, w- it wasn't the fifth inning. It was the eighth inning down one. And I was like, oh, okay, we're going, we're, this is what we're doing. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. It has not been a banner for two and a half months for Brian Snicker. I will say that. I know, as you just said, it has been debated ad nauseum about his in-game management and in the thing, some of the things he's done this year, but thankfully, just reading through your notes to be fully, uh, we have one more coming uh, on Sunday, by the way, one fully more. transparent with everyone that, uh, <laughs> I did not catch a single minute of Saturday night's game. It sounds like I did not miss a whole, whole bunch, no. but yes, uh, that, that is an interesting eye raiser and I, I, I will not understand it, but what can you do? All you need to know is uh, exactly what I told you down, down one in the eighth, 
Edgar Santana. Um, all right, move, moving on to Sunday, and uh, I think everyone knew how this, how this was going to go. Um, the Braves put forth a, a pretty hilarious lineup. Um, I will say this, Chris Willis, our fearless leader, did, did remind me of this. There was only one regular that didn't play, and I stress regular because the Braves don't really have that many regulars right now. Uh, they have a lot of uh, flexibility, we'll say, to be kind. Um, but Dansby didn't play in this game. So that was the only guy who didn't play that was like one of the top, one of the top guys. But uh, Almonte hit cleanup for the Braves today. Uh, Adrianza played shortstop. He's hitting and he was hitting sixth uh, with uh, with Smith behind the plate. Um, and that ju- it just looked like a lineup, especially if you looked from four to eight in the lineup, like it was 2015 again. It was just one of those like, wow, this this just looks like hilarious. For reference, Almonte, who's been good this year, I'm not saying he hasn't been. He has a career 676 OPS before before today. So the the starting cleanup hitter for the Braves today had a sub 700 career OPS. And he's like 30. So can you imagine if 3 months ago Brad I would tell you that in the Almonte started the cleanup? Yeah. Middle of June you saw that lineup today you would have thought, "Oh my lord, what yeah. happened?" Yeah. I mean even like, like literally what happened? Literally what happened? I I totally agree with you. Even Adrianza, you know, it was a great story early on. I made this note before the game today, so the, this is not updated for today's game. But in the 35 games before Sunday, Adrianza had a had a 5.43 OPS. Yeah. So he, like the the early right. season, uh, Adrianza is not so bad. Uh, Storyline has kind of faded away, and you know this is what happens. We talked about this a lot with guys like they can. Be, I mean, Al- Almonte is gonna be the same thing. I'm not gonna say he's gonna suddenly be just terrible, but you can't expect him to be really good moving forward. And this is the problem with your, when you're playing guys who aren't supposed to be playing. Um, but anyway, we we kind of knew that with the Braves were gonna still win, and they were able to do that, which is kind of funny. I thought they were gonna score like 15 runs today. Honestly, when I saw that lineup, I was like, well. If Snicker still has his magic, this will be the 15-run game, and they ended up scoring six, which is fine. But um, came out of the game, they actually kind of threatened it. They scored three in the first and then took a 4-0 lead when Riley homered in the fourth. And they never trailed today, which is nice. I do have one managerial thing to hit on here. Um, and I, this is not my original thought. Um, Snicker let Drew Smiley hit with the bases loaded and one out in the fifth um, with the top of the order coming up for the Marlins in the bottom half of the fifth, that would have been the very, very, very obvious time to pitch it for him. Not only because of the plate stuff, but also because you don't want to have Drew Smiley, who is still your worst starting pitcher, as much as I think he's not been as bad as everybody thinks he has been at a time this year. Uh, not have That was not a good decision. Um, and it was compounded, mm-hmm. which is not Smiley's fault. Smiley actually hit the ball very hard. Did you see this play? Yes. Uh, yeah. he, he hits kind of a rope to center, um, which is obviously a good result for him, like batted ball-wise, but it's caught... And then uh, it ends up being a double play because he's throwing. You have a guy throwing out a plate, um, so it became even worse. Like the worst case scenario there is a double play. It's more likely to be like a a very casual, you know, grounder to second base double play, but mm-hmm. it ends up being a double play on a rope to center field, and then you get the obvious benefit of Smiley staying in the game to allow two runs in the bottom half of the inning. Yeah, I, I, I. How do I say this? At some point, I think in a long baseball season. And maybe they do this. I don't know. But at some point, I think you need to sit down with a manager and explain to them some trends that they are very clearly not paying attention to. Because in every single Drew Smiley start, it's basically been the same deal. He's been pretty solid, actually. Like if I would love to know what Drew Smiley's ERA and, and underlying metrics are through the first two times through the order. I would imagine they're pretty good. I I don't have those numbers right here in front of me, 
But every time he goes through a lineup a third time for like the last month, he's gotten hit around. And I know that you can't just automatically pull a guy after his second time through. But I think at some point you probably have to say, all right, we, we have to at least have a, a guy warming up or some kind of plan in place because clearly anytime Drew goes through a lineup the third time, he's going to be hit. And in a situation where you have the bases loaded and you know he's about to go through it a third time, I don't hate that he hit for himself. But that was a theme that, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I get it though. I'm, I'm with you. That's not like, yeah, it's not exactly a situation where this is a one-off is my thing. Um, and to your point, by the way, I just, I just pulled it. This is before today. Um, third time through the order for Drew Smiley this season uh, has been, uh, let's just say a lot worse than the first couple times through the order. Um, this yeah. is all uh, via fan graphs. I'm trying to find the non-advanced numbers. Yes, uh, he has an 8.38 ERA against the third time through the order this season. Yeah, they're going to have to draw a little bit of a line in the sand and say, Brian, you have Drew until he goes through the order a third time, and then and then he's done. I mean, that, that's just how it is. And I know it's tough to do that because if he's pitching well, it's hard to just sit a guy when he's been pitching well if he's at 75 pitches or whatever it is. But it is it is more than just a couple of times now at this point. Yeah, and I think actually that number is probably higher because that was coming into today. This is not an update on the fan graph. So he and he allowed two runs in the second time through the order. So it might even be higher than that. But regardless, it's in it's in the eights, um, which it's a small sample size. But also, if you are watching, it does not surprise you either. And again, it w- it would have been a, a little bit more defensible if they were not in a bases loaded one out situation where you're supposed to at least get one run there. And again. <laughs> I know it sounds hilarious because Smiley just raked the ball in that spot, but you can't assume that's going to happen. Drew Smiley, that was probably like a 98th percentile batted ball profile swing from Drew Smiley. (laughs) You can't expect that to happen. And of course it went right. It was unlucky that it was right at somebody, but uh, even with a bad bench, short bench, all that stuff, whoever you put in there for him is going to be better at the plate. And you want to just get one there, tack on, tack on a run and all that stuff. So, uh, it's a combination. It's one of those nuanced things that you have to sort of look ahead to see what's coming in the bottom half. And I get all that. It's not like the worst decision in the world, but all factors in play, you probably don't let him hit there. It's kind of where I landed and uh, it, it, it didn't bite them in the form of a loss, but he did allow two runs in the bottom half. Uh, fortunately, it didn't, it didn't bite them. Uh, Ender, by the way, hits a home run off a lefty hey. in the sixth. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, that was that was, <laughs> not, that, was been a while. that was not expected. I will be honest about that. Yeah. Um, it got a little bit dicey. They allowed two in the seventh, but no disasters. The only other thing that I want to mention about the end of Sunday's game is that Acuna left the game with what they were calling right pectoral tightness. They said it was precautionary. Snead even said on the on his uh, post game Zoom that he could have kept he could have stayed in and actually wanted to stay in. So it seems like that's not going to be a huge concern. They'll probably work him out and they have a day off on Monday. So um, I'm okay being careful with the best player on the team. That's okay with me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably smart with a hundred games to go and, and uh, the potential NL MVP, you want to yeah, be safe. I'm fine with that. So uh, no issues there. I, I, did see, I, did see, I did see some pretty hilarious conspiracy theories that he was uh, being shadow pulled for not uh, doing his job in the on deck circle. That was one of the fun, one of the ones that I, that I enjoyed. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what Adrianza was doing there. Like, I mean, what, what, I agree. If if you watch it live, it was a bizarre play. I will. Say, I can't remember who. I think it might have been Stephen from uh, Seventy Five. Somebody somebody had the uh, had the sort of the still shots, and I'm not really sure when he was going to be able to slide. Like he got tagged out like way 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 up the line. If you watch yeah. it back, 
Um, he was going to be out by a lot regardless. So, you know, the send was weird as well. I don't know. He was never going to make that. Um, but regardless, it was a bizarre play. Like the only, you could have made the argument maybe that, um, his progress was impeded by the catcher. If you wanted to be like super optimistic, but yeah, he was out by a lot and maybe should have slid, but also he can't slide from 15 feet away. Yeah. It was, it was just an awkward play all the way around. Yeah. It was odd, but regardless, I, I, I did enjoy the, uh, the few Braves fans I saw, um, promoting the, the conspiracy that Ronnie was actually pulled for not uh, not telling him to get down or something in the uh, on the circle. Ah, mm. uh, yes, on brand. Um. Anyway, so that's the end of the week. Obviously, the numbers are not great. This is coming into to today, but this sort of a tells the tells the story of the season so far. Um, these numbers will be adjusted slightly, but the Braves came into Sunday twenty second in pitching Fangraphs WAR, and they were eighteenth in ERA, so below average in both. That's the entire staff. Twenty uh, seventh in bullpen ERA for the season. Um, a supposed strength of this team uh, coming into the year, by the way. Uh, or we stay n- non-weakness, we would say. Uh, 27th is obviously hideous. 20th in starting pitcher war. Um, offensively, they were actually 12th across the board. They are 12th in runs, 12th in war, and 12th in WRC+. So I guess they're the 12th best offense in the league. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> but regardless, yeah. uh, I think we both would have said if they're 12th in offense this year, they're in some trouble. And uh, that was before the pitching staff kind of fell apart. So... Well, and as, as we've, yeah, and as we've talked about, this lineup is going to need really the top six to really perform. And now, and now it's more of a top five. They don't really have they don't really have six anymore. Yeah, right. Yeah, Will Contreras is probably yeah. I guess that's true. Fringe. I mean, he's he's had really. I mean, again, he's a rookie. He had he, minimal he experience hit, at the upper levels, but yes, he has power. I he strikes out a lot, but I feel like he puts together some strong plate appearances, like. It's not an Alex Jackson situation where he's going up there and striking out on three or four pitches. Yeah, he has a 110 WRC plus right now yeah. and 100 plus bad appearances, which for especially at catcher is uh, pretty excellent. Yep. That's that's like a top five, top seven mark among catchers if it, if it continues, obviously. Right. And then, of course, uh, also part of that top five or top six, however you want to spell it, is Dansby Swanson, who Dansby has. We know who Dansby Swanson is at this point in his career. He's a guy who's hot. He's a guy who's cold. He can have stretches where he kind of carries the lineup for for a week or two at a time, and then he'll go 0 for 20, and you're just like, goodness gracious, where is no, he ever going to get hit no, again? No, no cheating, Scott. Uh, do you know Dansby's WRC plus right now for the season? Uh, I would guess upper 70s, like 78. 91. Oh, so he has been better than I. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, this uh, that was the reaction I had to. Not that it's that's not great. But that's also, I think his career number is 86. He's actually been better than his career number this year. So. Yeah. He did have that one, I think it was last stretch. Yeah. last week, where he was yep. like three for four every single night. That yeah. was exactly what it was. So to your uh, point, though, I agree with you. Like, he, he kind of is what he is, although is what it is with Dansby is like either molten lava or ice caps. <laughs> I don't even know which one, but uh, it's one of the two. Regardless, though, I, I'm with you. I think we've said this a lot, but if you remove – Ozuna and Darno from the lineup, and then you say they're twelfth. It makes a lot more sense. Yep, and Freddie Freeman has been remarkably average. I mean, he's at for one. him. Yeah, yes, for Freddie Freeman, right? A National League MVP. He was out of his mind, and as you and I talked, and Eric too, going into the year, nobody could expect the lineup to be as good as it was last year with Travis Darno being a top twenty hitter in baseball. Freddie Freeman was the MVP. Marcelo Zuna might have been the best hitter in baseball last year. Um, you know, Cunha, Ozzy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was inevitable that this lineup was going to come back down to earth a little bit, but 
with the injuries and being 12th and as you said, basically the 12th best offense in baseball through two and a half months. Um, we figured the, the pitching staff would be better than what it has been. And when you, when you add it all up, I guess it's not a big, big surprise that they are below 500 and haven't been able to break through. My, my favorite stat before we uh, move on and get out of here in a second is uh, I'm not sure I believe this until I wrote it down. And actually I did the math again, just now to make sure that I had it um, at this moment. If Freddie were to play and keep his current pace this season, he would set a new personal record for home runs for a season. Think about that. Wow. Freddie's been not very good this year, but the one thing he's done yeah. is hit home runs. He has 15 homers. He's on pace for 39 home runs this season, which which would be a new record. Now, obviously, last year he might have gotten there had they actually played a full season, but his current his current um, career high is 38 in 2019, uh, which is it's just so funny because he's been remarkably average he has his lowest wrc plus this year so far since 2012 yeah yeah and like yeah, by I mean, a pretty decent margin too it's not even like by one like he has, it's one as of as of today it's 119 his yeah. his his low in the last uh in the previous seven seasons eight seasons was 132 so like yeah. he's been notably worse than he's been for a long time but he is hitting, but he, he is hitting the ball over the, over the fence yeah, it it speaks to the caliber of hitter that he is. That yes. his season so far has been such a big disappointment. Um, he's still been good. <laughs> I, I I ultimately think that yes, I ultimately think he's going to find some some luck. And again, he's hitting the ball hard. That's the good news. It's not like his strikeout rates through the roof, and he's hitting a bunch of lazy fly balls or, or soft grounders. I mean, he continues to hit the ball hard. It seems like every night he hits a rocket just right at somebody. Um, I would think that over the next few months that will balance out and he probably won't ever replicate just the incredible couple months he had last summer. But Freddie Freeman is, is very low on my list of guys I worry about on this roster. I would agree. All right. Before we get out of here, I look ahead briefly to the upcoming week. Uh, they're off on Monday, probably uh, one they could use to regroup a little bit. Then they have two at home against Boston on Tuesday and Wednesday and then four at home against St. Louis. And it's a Sunday night baseball a week from now, which means it's probably going to be Scott and I recording at like 11.30 p.m. next oh, yeah. Sunday. Um, <laughs> that'll be a lot of fun when we're catatonic at the end of the game. But, um, you know, not a murderer's row schedule, but not a cakewalk either. Uh, as of this moment, 538 has updated live. Their projection for the Braves right now for the season is 82-80 and 80 with a 21% chance to, to make the playoffs. Does that seem low to you, or does that seem appropriate to you? Um, boy. I mean, it sounds about right, honestly. Um, as we talked about earlier in this podcast, they're going to have to really start to figure it out uh, if they're going to get close to 90 wins, even. Um, and, and not that it can't happen. I mean, we, we always make fun of the Nationals for their little best record in baseball since May 24th <laughs> shtick they had a couple years ago. Yep. But even then, they had the best record in baseball from May 24th on, and I believe, if memory serves, they clinched their playoff spot with like two days left in the regular season. Yep. Um, so even though they were the best team in the league for, what, four months, they still barely snuck in. Um, it, it's going to kind of feel like that for if, if Atlanta's going to make it this year, they're going to need to really kick it in gear here. There's still time, but, and, and thankfully they're not in a division like the NL West, where it's it would affect if they were in a division with the Dodgers and Padres, it would effectively be over. Like you never say never, but it's highly unlikely they're going to play that level. The Mets are not that good. They have injuries. Their pitching staff has been pretty average other than Jacob deGrom, who is just insane. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, boy, let me ask you this, Brad. How many wins are the Braves going to finish with? Yeah, I think I would take the over on 82, but not with a lot of confidence. Like, you made me pick the over. I, th- I think I would probably go, like, 84, something like that, yeah, which, is, which, right. is, which is not good enough. Uh, but, I mean, you just got to do the math. I, I'm not say- I think we, we both agree that the Braves have the capability to get hot and finish with 89 wins and get in the playoffs. Like, that's not – we're not saying it's not possible – um, it's more than possible. It's it's possible for sure. Um, yeah, but absolutely. if you're projecting, like trying to be reasonable, put your objective hat on for a second. No, I don't think anyone is projecting the Braves as the median outcome to finish with 89 wins this year, 90 wins anymore. That, that You can't say that at 30 and 33. You have to, again, you have they have to win at a 98-win pace. And no one had them for 98 wins this season. And that was with Ozuna and Darno. Right. And, and Mike Soroka. And Soroka. So, yeah. So, yeah. again, you can get hot. Like, for example, the the Giants, who are not, like, off the charts talented, are 40 and 25 right now. Now, and they've actually been playing well. Like, they're not, like, a, like a, a complete fluke. But that's the upside. Like, you, it's still baseball. Weird things can happen. You can get hot. But on the downside... The Braves are 33-3 right now. They're actually quite fortunate to be in the National League East. If they were in the Central, they would be they would be behind four teams. If they were in the West, they'd be behind three teams, and they would be eight games behind the third-place team in the West. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's the, crazy. The Padres are 38-29. and 29, Yeah. And they're in third in the West. Uh, yes. The Braves at, at current would be behind four teams in the, in the AL East. They'd be behind four teams in the AL West. So they would be in, they would be in fifth in a few divisions, but they're fortunate enough to be in what right now is either the worst or second worst division in baseball, probably the worst division in baseball, um, on paper, and that gives them some hope. But if you look at the wild card standings, I think I mentioned it with Eric last week, the Braves are much, much, much more likely right now to win the division than they are to, get the, to have a wild card. Yep. So yeah. you have to look at that too. It's it's kind of the exact opposite of what everybody was projecting. Yeah. Everybody thought that National League Central was going to be a joke and that 84 wins was going to win the division. And the Cubs are playing well. The Brewers are playing well. The Cardinals, who the Braves will see for four next weekend, started off well. They've struggled lately. But, uh, again, that's it's not an incredible lineup and roster by any means. But they are uh, they are a talented team. And then the National League West has been ridiculous. Yes. Um, maybe some of that is the Cardinals or the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks and the Rockies being terrible. Uh, and those three teams, the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants, are beating up on them a little bit. But uh, those are two very, very talented teams. And then, of course, the Giants, who have been probably the best story of the season so far. Um, you're absolutely right. It's fortunate the National League East, which was pegged as maybe the best division in baseball just a few months ago, has been remarkably average. Yeah, this it's just one system, but 538, same system as, as, as I just cited with the Braves being 82 and 80. They have the Mets 89 and 73. Which you know that's setting is better than the Braves projection, but that's not off the charts. That 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 would be the worst division winner in baseball. So there is the possibility that the Braves can close that gap, and I'm not too afraid of the Mets in general. It's just a, it's just a numbers game at this point. You have to do the math and realize that while there are 100 games left, almost that's a lot fewer than 162. Uh, so do the math on that. Um, before we get out of here, I I, I could do an hour on this, uh, and I won't. But um, Ozzy Albie's was too low on the MLB Network under 25 list. Just want to mention that out loud. Ozzie I don't Albers know who. Yeah, I don't know who Ozzy upset at MLB Network, but it's the same group that listed him as the ninth 
best second baseman in baseball coming into the year. Which is ludicrous. Not, he's like a top, I mean, top five uh, pretty conservatively. I mean, Easy. We, again, we're not going to do the entire rant here. Uh, I also have questions as to why Ozzy is behind Austin Riley. All due respect, Riley's been great this year. I, I don't know how someone could look at those two guys and have Riley ahead of Ozzy on, on a list. That doesn't make sense Just, to me at all. Yeah, ter- if you haven't seen this MLB Network 25 under 25 list, it is terrible. Like Gavin Lux, who is terrible after after two. Ronnie's number one. Good job. But yes, after that. good job. Thank you for recognizing <laughs> the best player in baseball. Um, yeah, I mean, I swear they like gave this project to an intern who's watched baseball for two weeks and said, "Hey, go figure this one out." Uh, Jazz, um, Jazz Chisholm uh, was like six spots ahead of Ozzy on this list. I, I don't know. There was I have many questions about what transpired here. Uh, and again, we're not going to do it. This could be like its own bonus episode. But yeah. Ozzy being number seventeen on this list is ludicrous. Like he's pretty safe with like a top seven or eight guy I would have on this list. Uh, right. Gavin Lux, well, and, what are we doing here? Uh, I mean, even, I don't know. They're, they're Trevor they're, Rogers. They're yeah, a, Trevor they're a Rogers. Yes. Yeah. Trevor Rogers, who has made like eight career starts. Let's see here. Oh no, I was low. Trevor Rogers made 20 career starts and he, he has been good this year, but you're going to put him at, at 15 ahead of Ozzy. As you said, we could go on for an hour about this, and at the end of the day, it's just some silly list that, I mean, MLB Network has to talk about something. It doesn't matter but, at all, but yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ozzy, and this is, I, I guess I guess it's, he came up early, but I think Ozzy has more than, like, 12 war career on, like, all of the, I'm looking at baseball, baseball reference right now. Yeah, he's a 12 and a half war player in, you know, effectively, like, four seasons, not even four full seasons. Um, which is a, a heck of a pace for a guy who's still 24 years old. I don't know. Just seems crazy to me. It's, it, it is a reminder that we do not talk about him enough, and he is still uh, violently underrated. So, shouts to Ozzy, who's been good this year as well after a slow start. So, all right. Well, we've done enough to paint a negative picture for the most part on this <laughs> podcast. But hey, we are also saying, I think you, I think I'll speak for you on this one, Scott. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The season's not over. Uh, nope. This is a story that we've been singing for now for three or four weeks in a row, but. As bad as it's been, uh, I'm t- I'm talking myself into this now as well. I'm I'm trying to coach myself right now into not packing in for the season. But uh, as bad as it's been, the Braves are basically like one stretch of really good play away from being in totally fine shape. Like if they go out and go five and one this week, or you know go you know seven and two in the in the, in the next nine, they'll be right where they want to be. Not where they want to be, but right in the spot where they're totally fine. So it's just they they have to at some point get hot. That's something that's non-negotiable. They're going to have to have a hot stretch, or they're not going to win anything this year. That's going to have to happen. Yeah, they need a stretch of like sixteen and four over the next three weeks, uh, something like that. A sixteen and four, a fifteen and five, win six or seven or eight games in a row. We have certainly seen this team do it before. And while it's it's not early and it's not late, but at some point you have to start winning some games and, and pick up the pace here if you're going to make the playoffs for the fourth year in a row. And presumably, as we just talked about, win the division for the fourth year in a row, because that looks like a much easier path to October. Um, we, we can't keep doing these podcasts every week saying, well, it's still pretty early and it's not, have time to figure it's it not out. Early right. anymore. Not early anymore. Right. At some point, it's going to be, oh, the season's over uh, because you just can't wait around forever to pick it up. But nope. fingers crossed that they use this win on Sunday to to bounce into it a little bit and uh take advantage of a Red Sox team that hasn't been quite as good lately. And then, and then the Cardinals have some issues as well. Uh, they're going to have to stop allowing basically five runs a game as well. Yeah. That's going to have to change some kind of consistency. 
Yeah. At any rate, thank you, Scott, for joining me on the podcast. As always, people can find you on Twitter where? Uh, Scott Coleman, 55. Uh, I always keep it live there with, with my Atlanta Hawks postseason basketball Your tweets. Atlanta Hawks, baby. Uh, we got a, we a big game on Monday night, right? Monday night? Uh, <laughs> yes, Scott. Monday night is the next yes. one. Uh, big game. And, uh, but no, thanks for having me on, Brad. Always fun to do these with you. And, um, and uh, hopefully we have lots of good stuff here to chat about in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BT Roland. Please follow the site and also read all of the written content. Tons of stuff up there. Uh, Chris, Eric, everybody that writes all kinds of great content. Scott writes. I occasionally, occasionally, occasionally write something, but uh, all of that should be read on the site. And uh, as we sort of referenced earlier, the plan, I believe, is for Scott and I to record after the night game on Sunday. Um, that'll be a late one. So if you're a Sunday night listener, you'll probably have to wait till Monday morning on that one, unless you want to stay up very, very late. But it should be there. If it's not, follow us on Twitter. We'll definitely update you on the progress of the podcast. But subscribe rate review uh tell your friends tell your enemies tell your family all that fun stuff have uh, i appreciate all the support honestly i probably should say that more often but i really do thank everyone for listening appreciate all of what you have done to this point to support the podcast and we'll see you next time